Sunny 16 presents. episode of Music and Photography. I'm Billy Sanford, and today it's my honor and privilege to speak with Jody Andrazi, who some of you may know as Jody Farms from his YouTube channel, or Jody Mansbridge from his band, Mansbridge. Um, yeah, Jody, really excited to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, no, well, thank you so much for, for having me on, and and I guess like thank you to the uh, the team at Sunny Sixteen for uh, for giving me the opportunity, giving me the microphone. <laughs> Hope you don't regret it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Shout out to Sunny Sixteen for sure. I mean, this this wouldn't exist without them. That's that's for sure. So I've have been looking forward to the conversation. I think you know a lot of people have this dream of playing music and traveling the world, and and I was looking forward to some of those experiences that you've had that you can share with us. And this is all about music and photography, and we're, we're certainly going to talk a lot about both. But I thought I might kick us off with a story that was kind of passed down through my family that is at the intersection of farming and music, since, since farming is another part of your life and world. So as it goes, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side, and, and this was a hundred years ago, but they lived, you know, they had a family farm in the holler, as they would say. And, you know, no internet, of course, no Netflix, movies, TV, anything like that. Probably for them, probably didn't even have electricity or a radio. So oh, it was... that sounds idyllic. Yeah, <laughs> it, there is definitely a part of that that's that's really oddly appealing. So anyway, you know, hard work, manual labor, a lot of repetitive kind of farm work that that you would be familiar with, and and really no other kind of escape or diversion or entertainment for sure. So that's how a lot of them got started playing music. You know, the cigar box fiddles are are homemade banjos or wash tub bass and jug band type stuff and oh, so yeah this is the bill of goods i was sold about living on a farm 100 years ago and how people kind of used music as that sort of diversion and escape from from the work on the farm i mean did you have stories like that uh either in your family or or in the farm community or <laughs> have you used music yourself as as an escape I guess I have. It's funny you should mention the cigar box instruments. I, 
I got a, uh, yeah, I'll be working on one of those, maybe some old turpentine tins. I, I love that kind of stuff, that Americana yeah. old, like making instruments with what you got kicking around the farm. Um, I am a farmer. Yes, I, I grew up here. Uh, it's my family farm. And I think like on a farm, especially around here, and I think it's the same in 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 the U.S. and and I would imagine everywhere is the greatest export on any farm is is the children and right. like each generation. Like I mean, families were families were bigger back in the day, <laughs> um, but yeah. So the kids like you, you it would it would be like the you know the parents' dream that the kids wouldn't have to carry on the hard lifestyle, but someone would because these farms would be passed down from generation to generation, and my i'm not on a generational farm in which like i'm i'm the second generation as my parents um bought the farm in, in 1974 but i i'm the one who stayed back so everyone else right. that that i grew up with on the farm kind of moved on to their life and i did for a while too and then when you know you start to see like things are hitting some hard times and parents are getting on in age and they they can't handle it and i i kind of took a step back to the farm and it's not <laughs> it's hard to feel cool when you're, you know, when you're, when you're the guy that comes back to the farm, it's, you know, like, yeah. I don't know if, if the listeners know, um, I use the, uh, the Garfield Christmas special, you know, <laughs> where John goes back to the farm with Garfield and there's doc boy, his brother, right. I'm doc boy in this scenario, you know, I stayed home and I guess music for me, my, none of my parents play music. I mean, one of my uncles had an accordion that he brought back from Argentina on a trip or whatnot, which now I have, but no one was really musically inclined. But for me, me, I got into music. I was always into music. And yeah, it's definitely an escape. And I think it, it works well with the uh, with the with the farming lifestyle because the work comes in waves so i can plan these tours. I've been on like, you know, you 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 travel on on the shoulders of the season. Um, cause you don't want to be hitting some hard weather in the winter and you don't want to be, uh, going out during harvest. So I kind of use that. And I, for a while I'd segmented my life into those two parts. Like it was like two distinctly different parts. No one even really knew that I had a farm or, you know, and people here was like, oh yeah, Jody's doing the music thing. And I, I haven't, I haven't yet like combined those two mm -hmm. and, and I kind of plan on it because the more and more I talk and I mean, like I grew up in punk rock, like I, I play in punk bands and all that. And there comes an age, <laughs> there comes an age where that doesn't look too cool either, you know, like these old, old punk punkers, you know. And so a lot of the guys that I know and will start to, to move on to like country music or whatnot. And my thing is folk and I love folk music. I love, uh, I love Americana. And that's what I try to bring to the table when I'm, when I'm writing for the punk band. And so I go to a lot of folk shows. I talk to a lot of folk musicians and a lot of them are more interested in the farming when they find out I have a farm. Okay. And they're like, you should write about that, like write write about that. And I'm now now I'm starting to think like, well, you know, maybe maybe they got <laughs> maybe they got something there. So you know, I, I I did start to touch on that in in some of my songs with the with the punk group. But I'm yeah, I'm thinking that like the two lifestyles aren't that far off when you really come to think about it. Like just like it's uh, starting to bring them together finally to come to terms because living my two lives it gets a little gets a little hard to manage at times. So just like. <laughs> Might as well be me both times, you know? Right, right. Well, since if no one in your family did play instruments or anything like that, how, how did you kind of get started? Well, my mom had a guitar. My brother had a guitar. Um, they kind of messed around. I didn't really do mm -hmm. any chords or anything, just like, you know, single string stuff. And then lost interest and I picked it up and just like 
put them through hell. Like I never <laughs> took any lessons, uh, right. you know? So when I was in, in, in high school, you know, there wasn't much out there to learn. If you want to learn an instrument, you had to go get, take guitar lessons, do your scales and all that stuff. And, and I never did that, but it was in, so I, you know, I did what I, what I could. And it was in college when I started to meet other people and I got, I got exposed to different kinds of music because out here uh, we're pretty rural you know so then meeting more people brought in different styles i got introduced to the punk scene it really gravitated towards it and everyone was making bands and everyone was great guitarists i was not um but i had a bass right <laughs> and the bass is four <laughs> strings and they're like you know so they're like yeah we could teach you bass like no one plays bass we'll teach you how to play i was like yeah sure awesome let's do that and you know the rest is the rest is history in retrospect i should have i should have been a drummer if i was a drummer we wouldn't be having this conversation because i'd be on tour right now because there's so few good drummers but yeah so that's that's kind of how i fell into it and i think it's more the lifestyle like i just really really was attracted to that uh, to that lifestyle having been isolated on the farm for so long i mean isolated we're not isolated but this was like you know before social media and all that and right. just to be exposed to this I, I i dove right in right so you started in high school and and then sort of went in different directions in college what uh yeah so what kind of music did you listen to even like maybe even before that uh before that just like a real mix like my parents yeah. were into music we have like so many albums they like rock and roll my dad was into like pink floyd and stuff i was kind of like yeah i don't know it's a little weird um <laughs> you know my mom's like a huge rolling stones fan she's been to mm -hmm. like all the all the concerts uh I, I like the rolling stones and like acdc stuff like that like we listen to you know the top 40 rock station and all that uh that would come on 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 the airwaves that was that was it and whatever my parents said uh had got for for albums so it was, a, it was a little mix like that and then yeah just on my own i was i was lost in high school i don't know i listened to a bunch of garbage like <laughs> it was it was bad but it, for if for, it was when it was when green day and the offspring came out that it really kind of hit like you know they say like the year punk broke in 1994 right and that for me like i remember just like mowing the lawn just with like offspring smash or green day dookie like those albums just like changed everything and kind of kind of took me there and then when i got into you know college uh, a little further I, I started to be exposed to to more of the punk scene coming out of california like all these bands like no effects lag wagon bad religion all, all this stuff that that kind of took over from there right okay yeah so you know in one of these previous chats uh i spoke with vanya surf martian oh from nice. Lands. I, yeah um, and the, she was you know, she lives in the, I think it's called the East Bay. Yep. Around El Segundo and the surf scene. And they're all yeah. about the punk. I love her there. photography. I, I can't get yeah. enough of it. East Bay, Journey to the End East, East Bay. Uh, right. Yeah, I love that. A lot of history oh, there. For sure. For sure. So you start getting into bands. And so what's what's that like? If, if you've never played in one and, and kind of just gelling with the with the band and everybody yeah. kind of finding their place. How does that go? It's a little chaotic at first. Like I've gone, I've been in bands a very long time um, mm -hmm. and it's just chaotic. It's fun. It's not serious. That's the whole point of punk rock in the beginning is it's not serious. It's kind of that, you know, it's funny. You should mention like, like the, the, the surfing scene. Cause I, I find the two are, are very similar here. We're landlocked. And I always 
I don't know what it was with surf culture, but I, I was attracted to it. Never, never seen an ocean. And I was just like attracted to this like surf culture. And it's not so much the surfing uh, as, as much as, you know, the, um, just the, just the lifestyle around it, like the, you know, surfer bums and, you know, I did some snowboarding, but snowboarding scene was a little different. I think that's kind of what attracted me to the punk scene at the time in the late nineties was just yeah. like, it's not too serious. You just, you're, you're just doing your thing. You're having fun. So it was a lot of like doing shows and it would be, it would be like shows like, like in houses, mm-hmm. like we were playing houses and and that was such a wild thing to think about it back then i was like super excited but now looking back i was like that was really something that was like how the cops didn't get called and and all this it's it was really something else (laughs) and from there it evolved you know it moved i spent a lot of time in some dank dirty wet basements smoky base like i spent a lot of time just rehearsing wherever we could like cold places that had a place bring the amps whatever Uh, i was in a I was in a Celtic punk band, so it was just like useless amounts of Guinness for some reason. I'm not even <laughs> Irish or Scottish or anything. So yeah, so it's just like a lot of hazy days like that. But as right. you go, as we go through and whatnot, you start to get better. You start to write better songs. It becomes a little more serious. You get dialed in. You get members that are you know are, are on the same wavelength as you, and and you hit that stride. But yeah, it's all it's a it's a progression. Right. So at what point did the thought enter somebody's mind, hey, we could actually like do a little tour (laughs) doing this sort of stuff? (laughs) When did all that come together? Yeah, that was me. So we were planning. (laughs) Yeah. So it was with my, I guess the time it would be like 2006 was the first time we really like we've been doing shows here and there. And the first time we kind of strung three together was 2006. And it's kind of back in the day for those who would remember it was it was MySpace and Mm -hmm. MySpace was really easy to navigate as a band because you would you could search by location mm-hmm. and you would type production, punk production out of this. And then, you, you know, this town and you'd get like a whole list and you can just contact everyone. Now you can't really do that. And when when Facebook hit and then uh, now it's it's on Twitter, Instagram, anything. It's just people's people's names. So you got to know. But back then they had little production companies. So we had strung like three shows together in a, you know, in, in Canada. And then I just went out on a whim and I was like, well, let's see what Chicago's up to. <laughs> and I, and then I got a yes. So I was like, Oh, so then I kind of had that conversation with the guys. I was like, yeah, you know, like <laughs> you want to play Chicago? It's like, well, it's a little far. I was like, well, you know, like we could book Detroit. Like, yeah, let's do that. Book Detroit. And then what are we doing with Chicago? Like, We'll head up to Winnipeg. So what's in between there? You get Iowa. Like, I want to see Iowa, Des Moines and all that. So we started doing that. Like, no idea. Crossing the border in Detroit with a band. We were six members and full of instruments and no, like, <laughs> no visa or anything. Just like, uh, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and like, right. they, it's like, what are we doing? And, you know, they let us through because they felt bad for us. They're like, you know, like, oh, you need a work visa for this. Like, I don't know. Like, what? We're going to play a show. Like, I remember taking the uh, the border guard onto the website of the club we were playing in uh, Minneapolis. And they're like, this is the show we're playing. And there's five bands. And they're like, what's the cover at the door? And we're like, look, here's the flyer. It's $3 cover, five bands. 75 person occupancy. Like, that's the limit. And they're like, okay, just go. 
<laughs> They're like, we just feel bad for these folks. So yeah, so so that was it. It was basically just out of curiosity. And that first tour was like, uh, was an absolute mess. I mean, you know, we broke down, um, we made it to all the shows. We had a fun time. Right. It was exhausting, two weeks only. But at the end, mm-hmm. it was just like, yeah, no, I, I want to pursue this. So you could do it maybe a little more organized. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah. So what? Uh, so once you've played a few shows and you start seeing some familiar faces, people that come and see you, you know, play multiple times. I, I if if we want to call them a fan of <laughs> of what you're doing, but just people appreciating the music that you're making. It kind of how validating is that? It's it's pretty cool. It it doesn't happen right away. Uh, I <laughs> right. mean, it's not it's not like I'm like glorifying it or anything. I mean, we played right. to sound people, be like the sound man, you know, sure. like sure. empty bars, Iowa on a Monday, Des Moines. That was something else. What was that place called? Harry Mary's Punk Rock Tavern. Like that was yeah. We played for the for the other band, and they and they played for us. Um, <laughs> but you know, you just we just liked it. We liked to travel, and then eventually, I guess we wrote better songs and we put a little more money into recording and release better albums. Right. And the first time I think I noticed that was when we did Canada. Um, we used to do Canada once a year. Canada's large for, for those who don't know, it's pretty large. <laughs> like I make fun of all the, the American bands, like our, all our friends in, in the U S and especially in Europe where they're like, Oh, you know, we have to drive two hours to the show. I was like two hours, like two <laughs> hours. Like, I'm sorry, you ain't lived <laughs> until you've woken up in Thunder Bay after a show and got to drive to Toronto on that day for the like that's a long drive. Like that's oh, like yeah. a two-day drive. So you're waking up at three in the morning driving and just making sound checks. So Canada, we would kind of reserve for once a year. Right. And then there was one year where like we all just quit our jobs. We're like, this is it. We quit our jobs. We did a tour across Canada in the spring. And on that tour, we booked the second tour for the year. And people were like, oh, wow, like your book, like, let's book this in person. Let's like nail this down and we'll get it. And we came back in the fall. And that was the first time that that I recognized the faces and that people that had our, our CD were like shouting the lyrics back. And I was like, not like crazy, like, well, again, right. but it was there. And that was something I was like, oh, that's what you got to do. Yeah, you, right. you got to come back. You got to come back often. And you got to because people care. Like when you're playing some places in Canada, like isolated prairie towns, uh, it matters when 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 I see a band come back twice, you know, because right. it's like you're putting an effort into their town, their community, and and they're also like doing the same for you as as a stop off. Because if you don't get if you don't get Regina or Saskatoon, like it's a long way from Winnipeg to Calgary. I'll tell you that, you know. <laughs> so you right. know places like that that it really matters, and that 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 felt kind of cool. And that's when we you kind of you kind of realize that that you're building something there, right. So what is that recording process and well, writing and recording? Is it, has it always been a collaboration with, with everyone or, or does everyone just kind of go off and work on their own little piece of the puzzle and then it comes together at the end? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Generally what will happen is like one of us will have an idea for a song and like we, historically we've had like two songwriters in the band uh, two singers and so like we'll bring a song we'll bring this you know the skeleton like just the bones no meat kind of yeah. like acoustic guitar some the lyrics down and everything and, and and you bring it in you throw some electrics to it and you get the drum beat that you kind of want to and work and you work it out like that so i'd say like a song will come in at like 75 percent, you know mm-hmm. and then together you you bring it up to 90 percent 
And then in the studio, you get that extra 10% to where it is. Like you work mm-hmm. it out with the engineer and whatnot and how it sounds and you get to hear it recorded. And I mean, we used to record ourselves and, uh, and then, yeah, I think our first time in the professional studio, it's expensive, but that was, it's, it was totally worth it for us. We got, we had that experience of having an actual engineer and saying right. like, okay, trying stuff out. So yeah, it's that extra little bit, uh, that, uh, that goes a long way. Right. And what, where else were you able to, to play shows? Um, well, you know, we've done across Canada tours like many right. times. I think like, you know, like crossed it like at least a dozen times. Um, right. we've played in the U S we've done mm-hmm. three, three U S tours, mainly on, on the East coast. Um, obviously, uh, the Midwest Midwest is nice. I played, uh, Indianapolis basement, dirty, dirty basement <laughs> show, but like a really well organized, like it was a, it was on independence day, 4th mm-hmm. of July. And it was like a really well organized barbecue event thing. There was tons, tons of people. And we played this like wet basement. And I've never experienced anything like that. Being in being in Indiana on the 4th of July, the amount of fireworks I saw going off, I've <laughs> never experienced anything like that. So that was that was kind of special. Um, and other other than that, yeah, we've we've been to Europe uh twice. We did two European tours all over France, um, mainly uh france and then we did uh you know all the way up to eastern europe um, czech republic slovakia uh, hungary uh, places like that but the the real meat of it all happens happens in canada and there's for well for me personally there's a certain pride in that just because of the long distance because of the hard the hard drives like i find a lot of bands around here will do canada once and then go to europe because you get paid and fed and there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot more people out there but it's like no i think this is where we're from and and we get beautiful views and you know the shows are few and far between but man when you hit it you hit it so a lot a lot of a lot of my touring happened in canada okay well just out of curiosity what what are those european crowds like they enjoy the music yeah so Europe is <laughs> Europe is a little different. I have friends out there now mm-hmm. that are that are that are touring. I'm just watching them on watching their stories on Instagram. But Europe's a little different because you'll arrive at the border. Like you show up, take an airplane with your bass, guitar, whatever. I, I duct tape my bass up, spray paint my phone number on it, everything, all that. Show up this grimy, dirty punk man with like t-shirts <laughs> rolled up in your bag. And you show up at like customs in in Paris and they're like, what are you doing here? And we're like, yeah, we're in a band and we're going to tour. And they're like, oh, my cousin is in a band. Oh, where are you from? What type of music do you play? And I was like, what? Seriously? Like we've crossed in the U.S. and it's like interrogation room and this and that, oh, wow. you know, and, and and it's like it's it's different out there. So I think like the the arts and culture are just a lot more like here. It's kind of that like dirtbag thing that like mm-hmm. like, you know, counterculture, like well honestly you know you look at us like i tear the sleeves off of my t-shirts and you know jump on a plane of course but right. in europe i there, there's it's more organized towns are closer together there's the, the a lot of people going to the shows a lot of people are super interested i mean being from canada we sound american like it's american music we're all like canada and u.s like we're brothers and sisters right so we share a lot right. of stuff so they they really get off on that and for a lot of them too it's it's a it's a lifeline to canada i mean like we've made some friends with bands in europe and it's like when they come over like we have vans we have equipment and that's how it works there is like you go with your with your base but you 
you team up with a band and they got they got the van they got the equipment and you just kind of make it work so so it's kind of like a mutual beneficial thing not not too many of the european bands make it to canada i don't blame them when the u.s is honestly okay look if i was a band from germany or whatever and i was coming to north america i would land in new york i wouldn't land in toronto like i just <laughs> it's just a lot easier in in the u.s there's a lot more but some of them do come and and so there's a support system there so it's the main difference in 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 europe is like yeah the the kids are into it like really into it and even like you show up at a show you you get fed you get your hotel and whatnot you show up to a show in canada it's like you might not get paid, you know, <laughs> you're on your own <laughs> deal with it. So yeah, it's really organized out there. It's, it's really good to see. Right. So, and that's a good point about the, the community. And, and you've talked about that a little bit. If a band's coming through your area from the West side or West coast part of Canada, I guess maybe you might uh, be willing to put them up or, Oh, buy a beer or, or do something along those lines. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I used to buy like cases of beer. Now, having done so many tours, I, I'd buy them a vegetable because right. it's like just the beer. It's like, oh god, I think I'm gonna be sick. I, but you, you haven't had a vegetable in a month. Um, but yeah, like, and that that's it. Like, yeah, there is a network in Canada, a strong network, and you know, you know the spots. You you're all mutual friends. Even if you haven't met someone, just knowing who they know, you know you're going to get along right and i mean like i said like i mentioned earlier two of my friends are are in europe right now like i drove them to the airport and i have their van now parked on my farm and i i'm keeping it there for them for a month and a half when they get back i'll pick them up at the airport give them the van and they'll continue on the way to to winnipeg back home and uh it's been like that for a while like i you don't you don't you don't stay at hotels even if you, you know, like it's the last resort because it's it's a lot of money even when we did get hotels or whatnot, I'd always sleep in the van, like always, because mm-hmm. you got to protect your gear. And also changing bed to bed is, you know, if you sleep on the floor of the van, it's it's the same every night. <laughs> your, <Right>. your, back's, <laughs> your back's going to hurt the same amount every night. It's not going to get worse. And uh, so, yeah, I've slept under under so many people's kitchen tables across the country and they've slept under mine. It's a mm-hmm. little uh, secret. It's the best spot to sleep. It's your only sense of privacy on tour. If you <laughs> set the chairs up just right. Um, right. Yeah, I've housed so many bands and it's that, it's, it's that like putting the shows together, giving someone a place to sleep. It's, it, it, can, it can't exist without it. Like the, the independent music scene just couldn't exist. Right. Well, in that community part, you know, just sort of to start bringing a little bit of photography into it, this this is a thing that, you know, people enjoy about photography and in general, I guess, but film photography uh, in particular is, is that community. And there's communities that I guess spring up around, um, you know, uh, around podcasts like this or, you know, on the Facebook groups or just, you know, I, there isn't, you know, a really big film <laughs> The film resurgence hasn't quite hit my area in Birmingham, Alabama yet, but, you know, I know those guys over in the UK, they do a lot of photo walks, you know, and that was sort of one of the impactful things about uh, the pandemic is just all of that stuff, stuff stopped. And, you know, I was just getting into it, so I still went out and shot all the time, but a lot of people just, that really kind of put a a dent in their photography and I guess maybe music too. Yeah. It's a really good excuse to kind of just 
like return into yourself <laughs> just stay in your <laughs> right. safe place or whatever but um yeah no like it's difficult because like especially with photography depending on what type of photography you do i mean you might not have the options or whatnot for street photographer or whatnot um i i've been taking photos since uh 2006 like film mm-hmm. photography and i like to document things like i'm i just i kind of use it I don't know. I just, it's, it's fun to do. I need to be doing something creative all the time. And photography for me takes a place. Like I, I, I just, I need to document things. I like to, to do things, but when I'm not doing anything, it's very hard, you know, like I'm not on tour right now and I, I'm on a farm, but it's winter. Like it's, there's nothing really. So it's these, it's these periods of like just inactivity and, I got like nothing going on and I can, I can see how, yeah, like musically, especially too, like if there's people not playing shows, it's hard. And and for some photographers, I, I, I can only imagine like street photographers when, when the pandemic hit and portrait sessions, everything changed. Now we're getting out of it. And so I, I think mm-hmm. it's good. It could be used as, as a, as a good break. Uh, but personally too, like music side, I haven't done much in the last so-and-so and photography either. I right. tried 2019 actually in photography. I was like, so the last, uh, when was the last tour I went on? I think the last tour I went on was 2017 or 2018. And then kind of had like indications that the band was maybe falling apart or there wasn't much going on in 2019. I really fell into the photography. So I was like going to do like a 52 roles project where I take like 52 roles of film shoot one a week for an entire year. And a lot of work, a lot of cameras, a lot of film, um, and I want to put into a book later when I didn't realize what I was doing was I was essentially like detailed capturing like the last normal year of my life because in right. 2020, <laughs> everything changed and I'm right. just so glad I did that. Yeah. So to have those and then, like I didn't, I'm not good like that. Like I don't like shoot a roll in a day, develop it and have the photos uh, processed like that same week. Like I, I don't do that. So to have those roles, those undeveloped film, like in during the pandemic to like be developing them, putting the book together, I think it took me like, I don't know, 18 months or something. It's, it's kind of good to, to, to do, you know? And that's why like when I, when I go on tour, when I started bringing a camera with me, it was, it was always a film camera and it kind of helps combat that we call like post tour depression, which is real because you go through like moments of like, like just like heightened experiences, like really intense, like positive and negative, whatever it is, experiences. And then it all stops and you end mm-hmm. up back at your apartment uh, that you forgot existed. Uh, right. You go back to your job maybe, you know, or, you know, your, your loved ones and everything's weird and you're, you're, you're missing that. So to have, yeah, to have those undeveloped roles, like especially off of a tour or into a pandemic, it's, it's a lifeline. So yeah, no, it's, <laughs> that's uh <laughs> filled filled a, an important role for me there yeah absolutely and and so kind of going back to the support that you get from a from a community and and then getting into film photography uh so jess hobbs gave you your first film camera Is yeah right? jess hobbs my my <laughs> my better half <laughs> those who don't know jess hobbs is uh I do her YouTube video. So when, when Jess Hobbs is on YouTube, I'm, I'm behind the camera. So I do the, I do the videography there. 
right. uh, help her out and we have fun. And uh, yeah, we've been, uh, we've been a team for a very long time, very long time. And, and she, I got into photography. I mean, I wasn't really into it. I was like in the music thing and whatever. And um, she was in uh, university. She took a darkroom class. And so she brought me into the darkroom once and showed me the process. And I was just like, yeah, this is really cool. And the cameras are really cool. So she ended up buying, buying me my first camera, it's Canon AE1. Okay. And I still have it still. That is my number one camera to shoot live music with. Like I'll still like to, to the end, I'll bring that one. And if that dies, I'll buy another AE one. And that'll be my show. Und, un, undisputed best camera for, for live music photography for me. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, so she, she kind of started that process. And then I just went, you know, like went from there. That was 2006. So it, it kind of lined up with my first tour actually. Yeah. My first tour is 2006. And I did. I brought that Canon AE1 on that tour. Didn't take anything great. Didn't know what I was doing. It's not like I looked <laughs> at a photo book before or anything. I was just like, what I knew of photography was like family photography. Like, you know, my mom, she had an OM10 back in the day. And right. you take when you go on vacation, you take vacation pics. So like the first tour, I mean, there's some there's some good stuff in there too. But there's also a lot of vacation pics, you know. Right. But uh, yeah, so so from there kind of just found my way in in both it was the timing was was uh, was weird right and you've kind of been on both sides of of that scenario now you've been the guy up on stage i imagine with someone taking your picture and you've been the guy out in the crowd taking the picture of someone else what kind of what are some of your favorite that that you did end up taking what what kind of makes a good live music image for you yeah that's cool yeah cuz i i have been on both both of those sides and every time i see someone with a prime lens whether it's digital or it's usually digital um i'll, I'll mention it in the microphone i'm like oh this guy's got a prime he knows what he's doing and that like kind of <laughs> makes that connection you know and i was like i know i'm gonna get more pictures of me that way like you know what i mean right. he's like oh this guy yeah he like nodded to the to the fact that he that that he's using a prime so i get a lot of pictures so it's a little selfish like that um uh like i just you know, just connecting with, with some people after a show, sometimes you're doing a show and it's like a super, like, just seems like an important show. It seems like, like a, a moment and there's a photographer there. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And you go and you look at those pictures. And so for me personally, when I, when I shoot shows, I, I, I don't go out, I go to a lot of shows. I don't, I don't always bring my camera. I don't always take pictures, but when I know, <clears throat> when I know it's, it's got all the elements, there's something there bands maybe about mm -hmm. to break up or it's a really weird venue or or something i i bring i bring the i usually bring my ae one one in particular is of my friend greg and he's like this little acoustic guy and he does like the stomping tom connor's thing he's got a stomp right. box and he stomps around and jumps little acoustic guitar this guy can jump like you know four feet in the air and i know his set i've toured with him right so right. I know the jumps. I know that it takes because the when you're on like this uh, four foot by four foot like stomp box, which he mics up, <laughs> but it's got like a piece of plywood, like three quarter inch plywood. It's got a little loft to it, so I know his third jump is the highest. Like he'll take those mm -hmm. first two, and he gains a little a little height there. So I like I know his set. I know it, and I'm just like I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna nail this because so he was coming into Montreal. So met him at the at the bar and it was the darkest bar i have ever seen i was like great here we go like black velvet walls 
everything mm-hmm. is dark but we had just been to the week prior we had been to another musician a friend's like uh, a wedding so greg was there i was there and he had this like powder blue like dorky <laughs> suit and he wore it to the wedding but it ended up being like he was mid-tour like the tour stopped at the wedding he went there and then continued on and that ended up being like the cleanest thing he had the next day so he wore the suit minus the jacket at at his next show and he said he'd sold more merch there than ever and <laughs> and yeah so he kept it going and when he shows up in this powder blue outfit in montreal in the darkest bar there was one spotlight on him i was able to get uh one one twenty fifth of a second f 2.8 one one twenty fifth of a second hp5 pushed to 1600 i couldn't believe it i was like i'm shooting one one twenty fifth i knew the jump uh you know jess was beside me and there was a, another friend of ours another photographer on the other side of me and when he jumped i took like a few shots but the one that i got the the shutter went off and i heard both people on either side of me go oh and i was like yeah i knew i had it and it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorite pictures of him because it picture it, it captures him in in flight which is his natural uh his natural habitat right that's awesome. I'll always remember that is hp5 pushed your go-to yeah i like it um i got a little burnt out on it uh, for mm-hmm. a while and then i tried other stuff um i like delta 400 too but you know it's just sometimes it's good to take take a break and now i think maybe i'm going to go back to hp5 i did some um some 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 other like lower speed films when it's an outdoor festival and whatnot uh, i shot a festival with with jess like this crazy just ridiculous like town of 2000 people hosts a, an annual punk festival and, and on that weekend the population goes from 2000 to 400,000 and it's oh, chaos wow. yeah it's just absolute chaos so we're in there and the, the rule is no professional cameras so we walk in like i had a <laughs> i had a, um, a canonette a little stupid rangefinder and she had her olympus 35 rc and the guards look at us they're like yeah whatever get in there and we're the only two people in there <laughs> and it's like yeah, so I, I tried every, like I went with HP Five. It was a three day festival, and I went there and just saw like the absolute freak show that it was. And driving back after the first night, I was just like, "We don't have enough film. Like we do not own enough <laughs> film." So all the everything we had, Ferrania Alpha, like kickstarted whatever it was, like went with us the next days. Um, but I think now, like just going through all that and. I think I'm going to go back to basics. I kind of miss the HP5 1600. I know it. It's good. It's absolutely fine. You know, I, I haven't been talking a lot about current events on these chats since they're usually delayed upon release a little yeah. bit. But, but since we're talking about film and there has been, you know, quite a bit of news around new color films. A little bit, yeah. Coming out. <laughs> coming out. I mean, do you have any uh, takes on that? Any any anything you've seen that you might be interested in trying out um i'm a 35 millimeter kind of guy mm-hmm. so you know kodak gold is releasing in uh in 120 and, and jess is like super excited about that because she shoots a lot of medium format right. i've got like i don't know 15 rolls of of kodak gold uh in 35 so i'm good there um you know i'm looking at i i'm maybe interested in the in the cinestill uh emulsion like the the fugu film i don't know like another slide film uh, it's a little difficult for me if if right. they started releasing it in Super 8. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be totally into that, like totally at a better price right. point than Necrochrome because it's, it's like 
Canadian, it's like $75 for, a, oh, <laughs> for wow. two minutes, you know. Um, but I think the Cinestill, uh, the 400D, I'd be curious to see what that's about, if it, uh, to see what it looks like, what it looks like pushed. Um, I mean, for 400, for 35, I like Ultramax in color. Um, I used to shoot Agfa Vista. I liked that, and I find Ultramax is, is a fair comparison to that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like I, like I said for for the HP five, I'm I'm going back to basics. I'd like to find like my go to. So you know whether it's like if I'm shooting at a low speed color, I'm going Ektar. Um, you know, I, I got Ultramax. It's gonna take a lot to kind of shake me from that. Right. Price is another is another factor and availability, things like that. So when there's new films. Yeah, I'm interested. I'll probably I'll probably try it, but you know, am I going to buy it? Am I going to buy a lot? Um, maybe. I think that the Cinestill 400D has has the potential there. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. <laughs> That's right. Well, somebody was just saying, and I guess we don't know yet, but but hopefully, you know, the D is not for daylight; it's for dynamics. So they're hoping there will be some good latitude there. Maybe you can use it as part of your. Uh, bathrooms of canada series <laughs> yeah oh yeah my yeah yeah so, that, i'm hoping yeah so i want to touch on that dynamic thing a little bit but yeah the punk bathroom it's funny you mentioned that because i literally one of my friends just texted me and said dude are you gonna go out on tour and shoot more bathrooms like what's up and i was like i'm not on tour i i think i'm gonna have to just go to dirty punk clubs and shoot bathrooms so just to give a little context to anyone who's listening <laughs> Um, right. yeah, I've done a lot of touring and, uh, you know, I just, you're just around and s- shooting different things, trying to document the experience. And if you've seen a punk bathroom or a club, like you, I invite you to just check out the hashtag punk bathrooms of Canada on Instagram. You'll see what I mean. But these are like the dirtiest, most graffiti, like you'll ever see dank, weird bathrooms. And you know, when we roll into a town, like at whatever, like 4, 4 p.m., like before soundcheck, before whatever, like I roll out of the van, I go into these places and I'm brushing my teeth, you know, like I'm mm-hmm. washing up and and just to see this like a horrible place. And, and then six hours later, it's covered in like feces and blood <laughs> and everything. It's just it's something to see. So I started taking pictures of them. Um, as they are, uh, and, and yeah, the, I think the, my favorite one is from um, uh, the Cobalt in in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I took two shots, and I put them both up under under the hashtag. And they're I think they're the only ones in color. Everything else is black and white that I've got so far. I don't have many, um, and it's the the color ones. Yeah, I really I really like it. It was Fujifilm. I think it was Fuji Superior 400, and I had to use a tripod at that because I, I wasn't pushing anything. It, it was early on. I think it was in 2009. That club is has closed and it doesn't exist anymore. It was kind of it may have reopened, but at the time it had closed. It wasn't sure its future. It's just a pretty legendary uh, punk club in uh, in Vancouver. So I think if I go back into those, I'm gonna go with color film. You gotta get right. the whole experience. You wanna shoot it as it is. Right, right. While we're kind of on that topic, I mean d- taking pictures while you're out on tour. Have you put a book or anything together just even for your own personal use? Is that something you want to do? Yeah. Um, it's hard. Cause like, I don't think I did a good job at, at documenting it. Mm-hmm. 
I would have a camera and I would do, you know, take pictures of the road, right? You're driving 16 hour drive sometimes between shows or eight hours is a typical, typical drive in Canada between shows. So you take a picture of the road and then you take another picture of the road and then the road, and then you turn around and take a picture of the van. And, and I was just kind of doing it just to do it. And it wasn't until like, I don't know, midway through my touring that I kind of realized like, Hey man, like what you're doing here is maybe important, you know, like it seems stupid because we're just nowhere bands. No one knows anyone, but you know, everyone wants to see green day at Gilman street, you know, when they started off and you can go, you can go and look at old pictures, even not even green day of like when operation Ivy, who, you know, like, like Tim from Operation Ivy, who, who who formed Rancid, like he playing Gilman, and you see in the crowd a little Billy Joe, like a, mm-hmm. the child that is now in like arguably one of the greatest or one of the biggest, I mean, not the greatest, but the biggest rock groups of, of my generation, Green right. Day. And maybe at the time you didn't know that was going to happen. And I'm not saying it's going to happen in our scene, but there was there was a moment where I'm like, yeah, a lot of bands are breaking up. A lot of clubs are closing. Things are changing. And we're kind of grasping onto this lifestyle that, that we like that no one really understands outside of, of those doing it. Pretty unconventional choice. Um, so I started to be like, okay, now no, no pressure, but maybe I should be documenting this better other than just pictures of, of the road. And so I, I, I started off, um, I started doing more. And I was, that was a bit of a struggle because as a photographer, I, mean, I wasn't really good. I didn't know what I was doing. So you, you're kind of like wondering when to bring the camera out, when not to, when you just like kind of live the experience and when you want to document it. Because sometimes it's real hard, like breaking down, being robbed, everything, everything's happened. Um, but now I am putting together a book, a personal book, just for like some of the guys that I've I've played music with. And it's kind of cool to like, to not have like um, any expectations. Like, it's not like this is a film photography book. Like I'm taking screenshots from YouTube, you know, like videos that we, anything, just like whatever's been documented, just like literally phone shots, anything, old flyers. I have a Google map, you know, of, of the direction of like from, from the place we stayed to a bar in, uh, in Utrecht uh, and Netherlands, you know, mm-hmm. fun stuff like that. Just for the guys, it's kind of like a, a recommendation, like a venue addresses. This was here, street map, whatever. Right. Uh, so I'm doing that just, just personally, but I, I, I do have plans for <laughs> something bigger because I, I I do really think that there's value in having that, and I am not alone. Yeah, I got a few good shots. I got that shot of Greg. I got a, I got a few good shots, but I'm not alone in this scene. There's a lot of people out there, and everyone's got like their phones or cameras or or whatever. So I'd like to put a call out eventually to uh, you know in Canada of all the touring bands. It, I know most of them, and there's a few record labels where I could get help to kind of just gather all that into one place. You know what it was like to be in a completely independent DIY touring band in Canada between 2010 and 2020. Like what did that look like in history? And that was my, that was the, that was the era that, that I occupied the most. And right. I'm kind of scared of the workload, <laughs> what you're going to get. Um, but I, but I think there's some value in there and maybe even like reach out to a, a record label to, to release a book, you know, who knows? Right. Um, so that's on that's on the horizon. I just got to work myself up to it. Once you send those emails, right, 
I got to be organized first. I got to get my spreadsheets or whatever. I don't know whatever I'm going to use to organize this, uh, and 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 then make that decision. But that is something that I'm going. I'm getting closer and closer to doing. Right. These days, you do an awful lot of video work. I mean, what about if if you go back out? Are you planning to have your video equipment with you too, and and do a little bit of that? <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of video work. I'd like to. Um, I'd like to travel with a band and not have to play mm-hmm. and do and and film that and see what that looks like. Right. It's hard to film yourself and to film <laughs> the experiences. I have done right. it again before I've even edited because you know I, I make little things on YouTube. I you know like I said I have Jess's channel. I have my own uh, YouTube channel on the farm, and right. I in my mind I've always been making movies since I was a kid. I just didn't know how to do it. I never had a video camera, but I've always been making movies. I see, I see, like I think and and I think in pictures. And that's mm-hmm. like I, you know, I can build these worlds in my head. And sometimes they only exist in my head. And sometimes when I'm in the right position, I can I, I like to think that I see things a certain way and I like to capture it and kind of to show people, like, see, this, this is this is what I'm seeing. And so I I took that in 2012. Uh, Canadian tour. We were doing four tours that year. We did Europe, we did Canada twice, and we did the U.S. I think that was the year. Yeah. And on on the Canadian tour, I was going to document it, and I did. I filmed an entire like I don't know. I have forty hours of 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 mini DV tapes. Right. I have ten cartridges of Super Eight undeveloped. The mini DVs are. <laughs> at my friend's place or like, I don't know. And we took like, we went one step further. I bought a laptop. We had a mixer. We had like, we mic'd, we mic'd ourselves up every single night and we ran it through and we got, we got the tracks. We recorded it all the mm-hmm. time. We played 30 shows in 32 days across Canada. Oh, wow. And uh, so I have that. We broke down on tour. We, we broke down our, we blew a rad in the Rockies, in the Rocky mountains outside of Whistler. And we rolled into a garage and they're like, yeah, I don't know. We can weld your rad. It's kind of sketchy, but maybe it'll hold. Um, but your brakes are, are out. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, it's funny. Eh? It's funny. Yeah? My brakes weren't out before I, before I came into this garage. He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, go in and feel them. They're, they're loose. And I go in and I feel like the, the brakes are just like rubber. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's strange. He's like, well, you know, you need to redo your brakes. I was like, like, I literally just redid my brakes two weeks ago. So I know what happened. And you can see on, on the old, on a 1986 Ford Econoline van, mm-hmm. <laughs> the brake lines come up right by the rad. Right. And they were cut. Um, and so we were just, cause you, you know, we come with out of, out of province plates. You know, it depends where you fall. We're in the middle of the Rocky mountains. We drove off the look on that guy's face. Mm-hmm. When we said, no, thank you. We're going to drive off was like i just murdered four people because they're gonna die i was like i'm not gonna drive through the rockies with no brakes i just drove through the other garage you know but right. he would the, just a look on his face so a lot you know a lot happened on that tour and it's it's right. all captured i don't know whether i did a good job it's been I don't know, like 10 years since i've seen the footage but that's mm-hmm. another thing as well that now that i've been doing more video because back then i didn't even know what i was doing um now I, I think I might have the capacity to edit. I just don't know if if um, I'm emotionally ready because <laughs> it's like, but again, it's I think it's it's important. Just some nowhere band. It turned out to be our last full Canadian tour as that band, you know? Right. And and so right. that as well was was kind of was kind of cool. Like, like we moved into another band and you just kind of change names and things look different. 
but that was before cell phone. Like we didn't have cell phone. You, what are you going to like? We're not millionaires. Like we didn't know right. when we didn't have a clock in the van at one point. We just wake up and drive. It's like whatever, you know? So it was a different time. Um, sure. So, yeah. So, so I, I am looking to put that together. I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, it's going to be called home is where the van is. Cause that's what the tour was called. You know, all okay. this was planned out 10 years ago by, by a younger me. Yeah, it's right. going to be 10 years this year. So, you know, what what better uh, what better year? So we'll see. We'll see what comes of that. Yeah. Well, I hope we get to see it someday or or at least you and you guys get to see it. I, I, I can imagine that would be, uh, you know, an awesome thing to, to have and look back on. Uh, a lot of memories, yeah. I would imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So all of these things sort of have this common thread of storytelling, you know, music you know, songs often are, are telling a story, pictures telling a story, video telling a story. I mean, what what is it about the storytelling part of all this? Is that something you've always been drawn to or are interested in a way to tell a story, I guess? Yeah, I think it's, it's good <laughs> that you mentioned that. Yeah, I think I think that's it. A lot of people tell me, like, whether it's for, through my YouTube channel, which I do little farming YouTube vlogs on on my farm, everyone's saying how my storytelling is like, oh, your storytelling, your storytelling, your storytelling. And I think it's just the way I think. Like part of Canada that I live in is 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 mainly Francophone. So I every, mo, a lot of people are bilingual. I speak English, I speak French. And so we often like from from out of towners or, or out of provinces, we get the we get the question like, oh, what you know, it's like it's fascinating. What language do you think in? What language do you think in? You know? Right. And I, for the longest time, I was always like, I was like a little embarrassed. I was like, the language, like, I don't, I don't think in a lot, like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't, Right. I think in pictures, you know, mm. like, I just, I'm very visual. I see things and, and I think it sits with me a very long time. And so that's why I think the storytelling for me is just the natural, natural for me in the visual aspect of, you know, video or, or, or photos you know, right. photos that could take like one photo that tells a story or maybe three. I like to think I can. <laughs> I need to work <laughs> on that part. Um, right. The video as well. But if if I feel it, like if there's something happening and, and I just like I kick in. And now lately I've I've kind of felt that because it's always been that pull. Like, what do I reach for? Like a camera, like stills or video. And now I, depending on the situation, but I think it's just a little more important for me to pick up that video camera because I just like. I get into it and it just like defaults to that. And it kind of falls into the songwriting as well. It takes me a very long time to write a song, mm-hmm. but I get these ideas in my head and I get them and they, they live there. Some of them for like years and years and years and then it just comes out, you know, and right. it's very hard for me to, to get it out and done. But when it is, it's like, it's very concise because it's lived inside of me for, for so long. So my output isn't, isn't, big but i don't have many throwaways you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so absolutely. yeah so the so yeah the storytelling aspect i do need to get better at, at getting it out in in all in everything in in the video and in, in photos and especially in music because if i want to like start to like write my own album i can't rely on multiple songwriters i gotta write like 12 songs in a year and that's like right. oh right, what am i gonna say um <laughs> so yeah no that is an aspect that really interests me it's why i do a lot of the the photos and the videos is just to try to kind of show people how I see certain situations, what it looks like to me. Right. Okay. Well, as somebody who in the past and potentially in the future has kind of 
thought about how you would want to tell that story? Are there other movies or documentaries or any anything along those lines around the subject matter that you've enjoyed in the past? Yeah, yeah, there 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 are a few. Again, I don't know what it was. I'm a mm-hmm. farmer from like rural French Canada. <laughs> right. <laughs> For a very long time I was super into surf movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and I never like I barely know how to swim. Why would I need to every lake has <laughs> leeches in it? Like what am I, you know, why would I do that around here? You know, a lot of them it's like, you know, you get the runoff from the cow pasture, you don't really want to take a dip. Right. But I think it was just that 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 lifestyle again. So I got into a lot of a lot of surf movies, and one of them in particular is Thicker Than Water uh, by Jack mm-hmm. Johnson. Actually, right. I think it was a little bit before he got famous, and and there was something about it that lifestyle, just like surfer bums traveling around the world. I mean, they're I mean, okay. Let's let's face it. It's you're traveling around the world. You're you're not broke. Right. But they were making a movie and, and, and I see that and they went all around and it was just about the experiences they had doing what they did, which was surfing. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was shot on like on 16. I think it was a, a Bolex H16 as well. And then on the music side, another, another uh, tour doc that, uh, that got me into it, which was part of the, the reason why I went out in 2012 to document my tour was uh, from a band from Gainesville called Against Me, and they made um, a, a documentary of a month-long tour, and it's uh, called We're Never Going Home. And that mm-hmm. also was shot on a Bolex. I don't know if it was a 16. I assume it was. And it just had that vibe. You know, it had that mm-hmm. look, except instead of the surf scenes, instead of, you know, instead of the waves, it was it was a song at a show. And then the in-between happens, the travel to this, to that, the anecdotes, the drinking, the just constant drinking and all that madness that happened to them. And, and, and so, yeah, that one really, really hit it, hit it for me. It's not, I mean, both of those films, they're not great. They're not like epic. They're just like accurate representations of a trip that two different groups took. And that's what kind of, kind of i think kind of attracted to me i don't know what it is i think it's the lifestyle you know yeah absolutely but it resonated as being kind of you you actually believe that they're telling like the actual story of those of those trips and events exactly and i mean like i make videos like i'm aware that like you see only what i want you to see right (laughs) Right. (laughs) a lot that can happen like when i choose to film or whether i cut it out um but when in doing something like that like yeah i do yeah i feel like that was what what an accurate representation of how they wanted to be to be presented and it's it's again it's just it it kind of yes it's always been there like the lifestyle thing like also for some reason i'm like super into train hopping i've never train hopped Mm -hmm. it's extremely dangerous it's like (laughs) terrible why would I do that? But the, just that lifestyle, these like vagabond, like dirt, dirty, you know, kids, but seeing right. the, seeing the world in a completely different way. And then, then we all do, you know, I think like one of my favorite photo books is a period of juvenile prosperity by Mike Brody. And it's about this, like just group of train hoppers. And it's like, I don't know what it is like again with the surfing. I've never surfed, could barely swim. I don't, I've never hopped a train. I, I want to live longer. Um, 
but it's that yeah that vagabond lifestyle and then when when someone captures that and tells that story like it just draws me in so like i'm, I'm attracted to documentaries like that okay. uh you know kind of show like the beginning because against me it ended up they grew into like a very large band like huge mm -hmm. and uh and and whatnot but to have that was was pretty important so i'm, I'm into stuff like that There's just a few a few mainstream movies as well that i like uh that are music related um whiplash was a main was a big box oh, yeah. office one that was intense i was like i guess it's about like <laughs> emotional and physical abuse <laughs> like from yeah. a coach to it's intense but man it that is. scene at the end the mm -hmm. drum solo at the end of that and you get that moment like i don't know what it is but it's uh you know it's yeah, right. that was that was a tough one to watch, but that scene at the end pulled it all together. I'm almost embarrassed to say that I like that one because it's like it's a little <laughs> iffy. Yeah, I mean, I think the well, it's, uh, the first time I watched it, I'm I'm sitting there, and the first time he starts kind of ripping into the guy and humiliating him in front of yeah. the class, and I'm just sitting there squirming in my seat. Yeah, it's just physically uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. But, yeah, but I mean, the you know. All the more reason it's a great movie right he he really sold it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you know another thing that comes up oh, when we talk about music and photography is the gear and mm. uh you know mike gutterman uh said he was unfortunate to be afflicted with uh gear acquisition in music and photography you know he's collecting all the all the guitars, all the boxes, all the cameras, all the lenses, all, all, you know, everything of, of everything. <laughs> so yep. kind of where, where do you land in, in the gear world in these two, in these two uh, <laughs> hobbies or. Yeah. Or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Mike and I, we're, we're both in uh I guess, well, he has a, he has the, you know, the negative positives uh, film photography Facebook group, but there's also a side group there right. at the, negative positives music group right so we all mm -hmm. kind of just talk gear on that so i'm in there and i know mike's a fender guy and i'm a fender guy so i think we we if we ever met we'd get along just fine but he's got all these <laughs> other he's got all these like cool guitars um really? i'm kind of that annoying like i have so many cameras you know mm -hmm. like i have a lot of cameras i do I'm trying <laughs> to get it down but it's just it's not going to happen i i'm i'm afflicted with gas just like everyone else and you right. know those are like those annoying people who are like he's like i've only ever had one camera like a m3 and i shoot it all the mm -hmm. time and i love it and i know it i only have one i was like i hate you i hate you because i want to be you <laughs> like that's it that's what i want you know i wish you know like i could have stopped at my ae1 i don't care if it's an a1 ae one's a great camera you know it doesn't have to be a like m3 but i got so many cameras that i'm dealing with it right. well on the music side I'm that guy. I'm that Leica M3 <laughs> guy. I only have one guitar. I only have one mm -hmm. bass. I have like a 1962 reissue American jazz bass, and I have a 1972 reissue uh, Fender Telecaster Thinline with uh, the humbucking single coil pickups on it. And that's it. And furthermore, I plug that guitar. That What happens is I plug that guitar into the amp. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. That is what I do. There's no pedal board. There's no right. nothing. I used to play on guitar. I used to play on a Fender Hot Rod DeVille, and I rocked that for so long. And then I recently switched to a Vox AC30, and that's it. I find the amp that I want and the guitar, and I try to get, I try to 
have a goal where I can find an amp where the EQ is basically in the middle. You know, right. I'm not doing anything, you know, the highs, lows or mids or, or, or any gain or, or, or presence isn't pushed so that if I need to, depending on like if you're in a different bar in a different room, the room changes, you, you have both ways you can go. So I'm not annoying guy. I got my base is down to like gray wood on the neck, you know, between <laughs> obviously it's based between frets one and three on the top and then five and, and seven on the bottom because that's right. what we do. That's all. <laughs> that's where our scale is. And that's where we stick. And I mean, it's because it's a 62 reissue. It's not polyurethane coated. It's nitro coated. So, I mean, it has frozen. So when nitro freezes, it just cracks. So it looks like this like shatter crack. And that's what's happening. The wood's chipping off. My guitar's getting there. Like I've dropped it. There's chip in that. And I am that annoying guy. And I've tried. Like I'm like, try to buy another guitar. Like I wanted like a Rickenbacker bass. Well, I was like, eh, never bought it. I wanted like a, I don't know, some kind. I wanted a Rickenbacker guitar. And I was like, no, never bought it. And it's just what it is. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, yeah, so when a lot of people are talking about like this music thing, how it costs a lot. I, I was like, well, you know, strings are expensive, but other than that, like it doesn't cost me too much. Um, right. So, yeah, so it's it's kind of weird, weird duality there for me where on the one side I got so many cameras and on the other and the music <laughs> side, like, yeah, I have that connection with my guitar and I have that connection with my bass. I've right. gone everywhere. It's been on airplanes, you know. Right. Okay. <laughs> so and, and then, you know, kind of another thing uh, of course that comes up is is this digital versus analog thing and that may be a thing you know i i this is another thing i think mike has said over the years you know it, there really isn't a debate i mean i think you know there's i mean it's a personal opinion and personal taste some people just Careful. like film better right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i mean but people <clears throat> uh have mentioned this as though there's this big argument out there about which one's better and i and and i don't doubt that that's happened i don't see a lot of arguments about that i most of the people i know that shoot one shoot film also shoot digital at least a little bit or to some degree or or whatever but anyway part of that discussion is always about you know on the music side this vinyl resurgence and then on yeah. the photography side it's the film resurgence and you know some people like the tangibility of these older medium um you know i, I guess there are a lot of different reasons but but kind of what's your take on 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 these two <laughs> aspects yeah. of music and photography it's interesting i actually wrote a song about this um for my band mansbridge it's called single lens reflux and i wrote that a very Mm -hmm. long time ago it ended up being recorded and came out like i think 2017 but it wasn't dated uh you know i i I was kind of just approaching the subject this was at the time not so much digital uh versus film it was like when we had all those instagram filters in the beginning the heavy Mm -hmm. like the the hipstamatic and all that i was i found it fascinated i didn't think it was right or wrong or whatever so I kind of wrote a song and I was just kind of like questioning because I found it peculiar. I found it mm-hmm. very interesting that we have these very powerful like technology, like digital, digital cameras, digital like phones, extremely powerful. And and we would apply these these filters to do artificial decay, like immediately after. Like this looks like an old slide that my mom took. I'm like, yeah, but like there's a 
you know, there's a 2004 Ford Taurus behind you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right. You know what? And so I was just questioning, like, why was it so popular when if you wanted that, you could just shoot film, develop it, put it in a box, let it age and let it earn its earn its decay, you know? Right. <clears throat> and so I just kind of put that out there and I just found it very fascinating. So I wrote the song about it. I didn't choose a side because honestly, I didn't really have a side. I, I didn't I didn't de- put artificial decay in, in my right. digital photos. Like that's, that's what it is. It's about like, it's artificial decay. I just found it curious that like the technology seems to be moving so quickly uh, that maybe there, that was a symptom of it moving a little too fast. And some right. people kind of, kind of felt like, like, oh, I want my photos to look cool. Like my kids' photos, like my, the photos of me when I was a kid. So you can apply these things. And like, I was like, dude, we took that like this afternoon. You know, like, why does it look like that? It looks all messed up. Can you make it clear? Like, it's a did like, it's an you have an amazing phone camera. Like, use it. Right. So I just found it interesting. <laughs> I wrote that song. Um, on the music side, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, we have the analog resurgence, just I don't know, <laughs> in film photography. Right. On the music side, it, it's vinyl, and and a lot of people combine the two, like they compare the two. They're like, yeah, vinyl, yeah, you see, it in music is vinyl. Like, well, not, not quite. Like, yeah, yeah, vinyl's the end thing. We press it on vinyl, but the recording is com- like we use Pro Tools. Like, it is completely digital. Right. Yeah. And so to get the truly analog, like experience, like to to record on tape. And some bands do live off the floor at least because when, when I go in, when we're recording, it's track by track and you miss a note, do that section again. I need 10 seconds of that. And they're like, ah, done. And you're like, well, what the hell? Like they just took a note, <laughs> this, they cut it together and you, you sound like a rock star. There's very right. few bands that record live off the floor. I think Bruce Springsteen's East street band is one of them that still does it. Mm-hmm. There might be a few others. And there are some bands that, that record like on tape and that, is the true analog experience, but right. I think music in, in music, it, it hasn't gone that far because you would go back to, <laughs> I guess the good old days when bands were good. Cause to get there, you need to really know what you're doing. Now right. the barriers of entry have been lowered just by the technology. Like you can, you can do like a subpar performance. You could do like 10 in a row, as long as you don't make mistakes in the same area, patch them all together, you get your song. And it's really great. I do that like that. That's what we do. We benefit from that to get your ideas out as how you have them in your mind without having to do that perfect performance each time. So I, there, I think there's a little bit of difference between music and, and photography there. And I look, mm-hmm. I often compare the two and I try to like predict the next, you know, the, the next trend in each because right. music kind of was first, I think. Or, or photography i don't know which one which one went through the digital change first like it may be photography and then music came with the with you know the home studios and whatnot so i'm often going back and forth between between the next trying to catch the next trend you know right <laughs> right and it's 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 difficult and and again like you know digital versus versus film like i shoot my videos on a sony a7 III. like it's awesome like i'm yeah. Yeah, like Super 8, and I, I, if it was less expensive, I would, I would use it a lot, but never full, you know. I would never just rely on it, and I would, you know, like retro cameras, like the guys, my Canon AE1, 
You can make mm-hmm. a T-shirt with a Canon AE-1, and it's retro and cool. I would, I will wager you that very soon there will be retro shirts of the Canon 5D Mark II because for <laughs> video, that was mm-hmm. the camera that changed everything. That look that came out oh, of the yeah. Canon 5D Mark II was what lowered that bar for for video for youtube for filmmaking for for everything it was kind of like a pocket professional cin- it had a look right. and yeah and and so each has its place and in like what i do mm-hmm. when i go back on tour if i get that feeling that this is really kind of very important sometimes i find it difficult to have a film camera i was going through a, a period where i was like what do i do because i'm in like hot bright prairie sun and then the darkest bar so what film am i going to use am i going to shoot an entire roll in a day no so do i bring two cameras i'll bring one with 1600 film do i use black and white mostly yeah because since the led light happened and everything's like colored blobs so make it black and white and then in color in the day but then i want black and white in the day you know and depending on the cameras i had like i got at one point, I figured like the, the best thing to do would be to buy a like a very expensive Voigtlander Bessa R3M because it had one two thousand speed. So I was like, I could put 1600 film in. I could shoot it in the day on Sunny 16 and one two thousand at whatever. And uh, it's at F16. And then I can shoot it in a bar at night. But as soon as I put that camera down on on you know, in between the, the front seats of the van, the rangefinder would go out of alignment just because it's Canada and you're driving a, like eight hundred kilometers on crappy roads you know it's just like rough so now going back like i'm i'm having this these this conversation inside what do i bring do i i mean i had like i said i have a sony a7 III. like it's not my favorite camera i don't i don't even i don't even think i shot a single shot on it that like a still that wasn't designed to be a youtube thumbnail you know like i don't mm-hmm. do photography with that it just it doesn't it doesn't fit with me Right. But what if I had like, um, you know, Fujifilm X100T or something? Right. Maybe that, you know, so I, I'm having this conversation constantly. <laughs> Will it give me pleasure? Because when I do, like when I pick up a film camera, it's kind of therapy for me. Just kind of like, you know, clicking the shutter and winding it and going through and and just like not seeing those pictures right away to, you know, for, again, for the post-tour depression to kind of have that to fall back on. So I don't know. I think about it a lot. Think about that subject a lot. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. And and I guess maybe part of what I was trying to poorly articulate earlier <laughs> was just, and, and that's a real good point that you made about the recording and and recording the tape and having to play the whole song live. I was thinking of it more from the consumer standpoint, where you know at the evolution of of music from you know eight track tapes and albums oh, yeah. to cassette tapes to CDs and just now it's just a, all a digital download. Yeah, you know, and and you can attain this perfect clear no static hiss or pop or (laughs) anything like that in in the music but yet people will still buy an album and listen to it that way and and if you believe them they prefer that sound you know the potential for the the hiss or the crack or the pop or yeah or something like that and and on the photography side you know to your point with these digital sensors now you can get a noise-free image at you know 
12,800 ISO, (laughs) but people still like a a grainy film too. It just fits their aesthetic, I guess. But I I mean, have you thought about why that is? (laughs) What, What it is about those kind of imperfections that might appeal to somebody yeah. as a consumer of music or, or images and i mean don't get me wrong like i i buy vinyl and i have a vinyl collection too like and and like we press our albums on vinyl it's cool right. to have it's very cool and you know someone goes to a show they're they're there to buy the vinyl or they're not going to buy the vinyl i found that there's no convincing people like here's our music it's like you're you're either going to buy the vinyl, you're there for that, or you're not going to. The death of the CD, I lost a lot of my, my revenue. I could That was the $10 mm-hmm. sale. I could right. sell a CD to any drunk person. I <laughs> challenge you. I could sell a CD to any drunk person. I sold CDs at gas stations. Always keep okay. your merch bat, Always keep your merch bin right, right in the back so you open the van doors and you can... Because there's a lot of guys that are in bands that work at gas stations and they just collect music. Like if you're, you know, just out of Wawa, Ontario, if you're working the gas station in White River by the A and W, there's not much <laughs> going on in your town. And if you're into music, right. every single band is going to tank up at your gas station because there ain't nothing on either side. Right. So, so yeah. So kind of what I. What I've wanted to do to kind of replace the CD, like you still have that analog, that tactile thing. The CD mm-hmm. is just basically, it's a carrier for a digital medium. It's not really tactile. I was kind of thinking that, you know, a lot of people in bands are photographers. Um, and you, you you document your, your whether it's your studio process or, or anything um, to make a zine. You can make a zine with a download code. It becomes tactile. It, it's this. It, it's, you bring back that ten dollars sale. You limit it like one of a hundred or whatnot, and then and you can get that again, not having vinyl. So because there's only a certain. It's like vinyls. Yeah, it's a resurgence, but there's a limited amount of people that. I mean, of all the people I know, like, not even half of them ha- like listen to vinyl. You know, so you gotta you gotta find it. And I think that they're in the two mediums, photography. Like there's like a lot of people making zines. I think that. You, you can use that and you know mm-hmm. put a download code in there on the on the photography side like yeah you the cameras now are so good and you can get like images crystal clear in the dark and i don't necessarily like that like you look at like people talk about like the film look like why what attracts you to the film look why do you want to look, have the film look and i'm like why isn't anyone talking about the digital look? Because you have like, I think Leica released a new camera, like an M whatever, 10, 11, or I don't right. know what they're at. And I've seen some of the pictures and I'm like, that just doesn't look like it's perfect. It's great. It's awesome. But it's like, I don't know it has a look who makes a sense. I think Leica make their own sensors and then Sony has some and Pentax might still make some sensors. And, and that's what, what you're seeing mm-hmm. for me. And I think I'm going to answer my dilemma before I keep going back is like, <laughs> I like that punk zine look, you know, like right. you make like um, photocopies at Kinko's, staple them together and and you distribute it to your friends and it's like washed out and HP five pushed to 1600 or even at box speed with a flash. Like when you know, I got a flash on my Ken AE one, I don't, I, I could shoot a box and um that's the look this grainy like the gritty if you want to actually capture what it is what it feels like what what it's like there it's not just capturing the scene it's also like maybe embracing those imperfections like in the darkest basement ever it shouldn't be like crystal clear 
you know, because it didn't feel crystal right. clear. And like, there's one shot I took um, in Edmonton, Alberta. The, the venue, <laughs> oh God, the venue is called Clint's Haas and it was Clint's house. And that was it. I was like, I don't know, like usually we play at, you know, DV8 or something and that place closed right. or, you know, the, whatever. So we pull up to Clint's house and like, yeah, it's a house and it's full of what appears to be 13 year olds, like just insanely yeah. drunk 13 year olds. They're probably a little older, but to me, they look 13. I was like, this, 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 this could get bad. Like this, this has all whatever, but the show is insane. It was insane. It was like a, a punk house, just like this empty house that, you know, like we had a show and the kids were just freaking out, freaking out. And the bands were playing terrible amps. Sound was horrible, but it, people were bouncing off the walls. There was there was like a, a skate half pipe in the back and everything. It was it was insane. And I had a, a Canon A1 untested. Never, never bring an untested camera <laughs> on tour. But I did because um, I was like, whatever, no pressure. And I had my flash and I figured the flash would be too much. So I put some toilet paper over it a little bit, you know, to diffuse the light. And right. I was shooting 1600 F uh, HP five. Usually I shoot when I use a flash, I usually do 400. So I was like, whatever, 24 millimeter lens. I'm just, I'm going to, I need to capture this. It was crazy. And I, I was just holding the camera above my head, flashing. I don't use my flash often because uh, it, it kind of could take, from the experience of others, but when it's so important, like Clint's Haas, like I felt that was important to document because <laughs> right. what the hell, what is going on? Um, I, I'll use the flash. And there was this one scene where there was this, I don't know, this it is weird band playing. And there was, I don't know, she must've been, she must've been like 15. And she saw that I had, that I was in the band cause I was, I had just played and I had a camera and I was standing on the stairs I went up to the bedrooms uh, above the venue, which was the living room. And I was just firing off. And she looked at me. She looked right in the lens or at me. And she stuck her tongue out and whipped her hair forward. And I, and I just pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that was the moment. Like, we connected. She saw me. was happy. And, and I got it. And when I developed the film, I was like, untested camera. I was like, yeah. It was like almost black. Like, oh, yeah. I was like, there is barely anything there. And so I pumped it. Like, you pumped it up and the end result was the grainiest black and white photo but it was like just like those punk scenes mm -hmm. you know just like those old punk scenes it almost looked photocopied and it was perfect i was like that's it that was perfect the rest of the room kind of faded to black you could see arms in the air whatever it doesn't matter what everyone else's faces look like you can see there was people there but she was like clear um and I'm, you know, wondering, like, if I had, like, my Sony A whatever, A7 whatever, I would have got that shot because I got 16 millimeters on it, not the 24. And it would have been, you know, ISO 6400 or anything. I could have used literally anything. But would it have been the same? I don't think so. I would have had to right. process it again to, to bring it down to that black and white, pump the contrast, all that stuff. And so, okay. so yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. It's tough. It's yeah. <laughs> It really is. So ap apparently a new segment I'm starting on this podcast is is a short sports segment. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So this <laughs> the, my previous conversation with was with uh, Christine Pinnock and she lives in Liverpool and she's been a lifelong uh, fan of Liverpool, Liverpool Football Club. Nice. And of course, they're, you know, they've been a very successful, iconic uh football club with a worldwide following and as i was uh 
preparing to speak with you, I thought, well, you know, you live close to a pretty uh, historic, iconic hockey team. Yeah, you might <laughs> say oldest, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the oldest, most successful uh, hockey club in in the NHL. Um, Last place this year too. <laughs> yeah, maybe not their best year this year, but yeah. but certainly a lot of success over the years. So you you are a fan. Yeah, yeah, I have to be. I am. Yeah, when I started, I started with hockey. I was like into the Edmonton Oilers, and that didn't last long. It was quickly like just bullied into like the Canadians, and yeah, been happy ever since. Well, happy. I okay. use the term loosely there. Yeah. <laughs> and and you played growing up. I played hockey. I did my best uh, to be a defenseman. Um, okay. Yeah, I managed. Okay. See, I knew that not because you were from Canada, but from watching your weeding technique, I said, there's a guy who's done some uh, oh, the, stick the, and the puck, puck handling, drills. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the cones, let's go yeah, back and forth through the cones. Yeah. Yeah. So one one of the reasons for, for mentioning the team is, so my, my son played hockey from the time he was 10 till 15. And so that, uh, that involved a lot of time sitting in, uh, rink lobbies mm. or going on the road on the weekends for tournaments or or whatever the case may be and so to keep myself occupied during these times I started reading a lot of books and several of them were about hockey and one of them was this book The Game by Ken Dryden who mm. was the goaltender for the Canadians in the 70s oh, yeah. during one of those dynasties and I mean the you know phenomenal athlete obviously uh, yeah. for anyone who may not know and and may not even care about hockey i apologize for the next couple <laughs> minutes but so only played seven or eight years or nine years or whatever it was but won six stanley cups during that yeah. time by vesna trophies which is you know the award they give for goaltending uh rookie of the year the stanley cup finals mvp just you know, he's on all these lists of 100 greatest hockey players of all time. Yeah. And all of that is super impressive. But what really intrigued, intrigued me about this guy was that, you know, like two or three years into his career, he took a year off and clerked at a law firm for like 100 bucks a week. 1974. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, who who does that? I mean, he's not like a the backup goalie on a mid-tier team. He's like the the man on the team of that decade and you know sure he wanted to make more money doing that and he was pursuing his law degree and so it helped in that but that was what one might call an unconventional career choice at that yeah. point in time that was a bit of a risky move there ken um yeah <laughs> i get it he felt he was worth more and so he's like fine do it without me and i'm gonna right. go do this law thing and yeah they they ended up the canadians that year i think they ended up losing in the first round and so he right. won his case, right? He won his biggest case and he got, exactly. he got the job again. Um, exactly. Yeah, that was a bit of a risky move there. So he comes back and they win, they, you know, they rattle off four more Stanley cups in a row <laughs> with him. <laughs> and then again, he just, he retires. He walks away from the game in his prime, or maybe he wasn't even at his prime yet, but I, again, you know, maybe not a move everyone would make and so you know this this long rambling question that i'm eventually building up to really isn't about him driving at all 
but just this idea of kind of carving your own path in life and it feels like you've you kind of touched on sort of similar themes in some of your youtube videos <laughs> just about you know you you went to university you had your business degree you could have gone and worked in a you know corporate cubicle under some fluorescent lighting but you you know pursued you've you have made a life that include these things that you were passionate about and just kind of the question i guess is about your overall philosophy about you know when you retire and you're sitting on the porch and you look back on your life what what do you want those memories to be you know do you want it to be that life that you carved out for yourself or or one that somebody else told you what to do all the all the time <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I got a little experience there. <laughs> um, I did. I did sit in a cubicle. I did sit. I did my time uh, under the fluorescent lights at a university. I'm just getting jobs. Right. Just got to right. get a job. You fall into a call center. You don't want to be on the phone anymore. So you try to you try to move up. I was working for an insurance company. I did seven years. And mm -hmm. yeah, I was in 2009. I banked my overtime for like a year. And I ended up having like a, like a month of a month of overtime. And I kind of, I sent an email to my boss. I was like, I'd like to take a month off this August. And he's like, Oh yeah, whatever. I'll get to you later. He didn't even read the email. He's like vacation. So <laughs> when it came time to leave, I was like, I'll see you in a month. He's like, what? I never approved that. And I was like, well, I sent you the email. And because he didn't reply, he felt so bad that let me go. Right. And that was like my first tour that we were, we got taken on as um, direct support uh, for, for, for headliner. So it was like the real deal hotels all that stuff security all the shows were booked for us we just had to show up and that was it at that i was like this i was like this because we had done like our tours before when we went to detroit and all that but i was like this this is it i was like holy crap i found what i want to do because i was dying at that company i mean i didn't do anything like you sometimes i just like check out just check out for a while you know and you just it's right. it's it's not right when it's not right it's not right but you don't understand it at the time there's no other way everyone around you is miserable and you can start to get like all this like terrible advice like well everyone hates their job and well you just gotta try to see the positive sides like that is horrible advice that's terrible <laughs> but you yeah. don't know because you, you you don't know any better and <clears throat> so i go on this like intense adventure and then come right back like drove back arrived back home at, on sunday and monday morning i was back at the desk and i was like okay i gotta get out of here what do i gotta do I was like, okay, if I work hard, if I eat nothing, like, I mean, like I, I remember in that last year, I, I would bring two, two slices of bread to work and I would like rummage in the fridge for like ketchup and relish left over from the hot dog party. And I'd put that together. That'd be my sandwich. When I'd get really hungry, I'd like take like some creamers from the coffee station and mix it with some sugar and hot water and right. kind of like get me going, just saving everything I can. What amount of money do I need? to leave this once and for all. And that number was $20,000. And then after a month, that number was $10,000. And then after another month, it was eight. And then five, I was just like, I was like, no, it's, I was like, why do I need, what would I do with 20,000? In the end, I just left. Like I had, yeah. I had 200 bucks. <laughs> so I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, like it's not, I'm not going to live on mustard and relish all the time. Um, right. And we were writing what would be our, like, our best album and so i was really believing in that and i i made that decision i i quit i left i retired mm -hmm. and 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 went on tour and i i emptied my 
RRSP. So that's like the Canadian like uh, retirement savings plan. Because mm-hmm. they kind of like when you get a job in corporate, like in an office, whatever, they, they have the spiel at the beginning. And they're like, well, you can contribute to the company RRSP. And it's like, okay, whatever. I don't care. Give me, I don't, whatever, you know? <laughs> so, so it builds up right. over your time. I think I had like $10,000 in it and I took it out and they're like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Like, this is your retirement. You know, you're going to get taxed on that. I was like, yeah, I don't care. Whatever. Like you're going to get taxed like 40%. I was like, I don't care. Give it to me. It's my money. I don't want to retire. I don't want to not thinking about that. You know, I'll get it back. Like I'm I'm retired. Like I'm, I'm quitting my job in May. Like I'm, I'm going to be below poverty line. Like it doesn't matter. You know what, what I, what, what taxes I pay. So I took that 5,000 went to pay for our first professional studio album. Best $5,000 I ever spent. Best, best investment. So like on one day, like I, I, I took out 10 grand from my, I took out everything. And then the next day I was like, it, it's springtime in Canada. So all the snow banks are melting and everyone's changed that they dropped and the parking lot gets all pushed to the side. And when it melts, it's, you start to see all the, all our coins, right? And we have dollar coins and $2 coins up here. So there's some, there's some money. I was literally like nothing to do that day. I was like, I don't have a job. I'm going to go down to the snowbank and see if I can get some extra money. And I <laughs> literally just took 10 grand out, but that's what it was. It was like everything, everything, everything. And then, oh, yeah. and then I, I did it. We went on that, uh, on our tour in 2010, we went on another one, released our album and it just started to snowball from there. And you just fill in, get odd jobs in between. And that's when I started to like go back to the farm in between. Cause at the, you know, the farm, I could do that. I didn't have a full-time job. And I remember feeling so good about myself i was like this is awesome this is awesome i got out of that place i got out of that place and i'm doing something i want to do i'm seeing the world i wasn't making any money i mean eventually yeah we did start making money but at the time it wasn't it wasn't even about that like we'd go out with enough gas for half of the way and it's like roll the dice Mm -hmm. you know if the van breaks down we got to get jobs in i don't know calgary like we'll get jobs in calgary or something but it always works out and i got a lot of like backlash from people i i wasn't lucky like my, my bandmates were a little more lucky or people kind of were like the people around them were like oh yeah cool but i started to get like a lot of like from from my friends or from my ex-coworkers like what are you doing man like you you were management like when are you gonna stop you know the dream's over stop you know like all this stuff and i was really confused for a while kind of conflicted and because these are people that you like talk to and confide in and you made such a choice mm-hmm. and for you it just feels so natural and you're getting a lot of pushback and people who just don't understand i didn't understand like i didn't realize at the time they just didn't understand mm-hmm. and so like in 2012 I, I i set out to film that 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 documentary because i want to show you I want to make you understand you know and then i realized like i'm not going to convince these people so i had a lot of like conflict there a lot now i'm okay i don't care <laughs> people know me now and it's like <laughs> You know, when you start to go to Europe a few times, it's like, oh, <laughs> like that little band thing that might be good, right? Like, yeah, like <laughs> no, I took a plane. That's big. Come on. That, right. that was hard. <laughs> but I would say on that, like, like if you're doing it, if you have an inkling of something, if there's anyone that's like kind of like thinking about it or whatever that is, if it's like if it's photography, if you're going to leave your toxic work environment to pursue something. I would say do it viciously. And I mean it like, like if you, th- and you know, like I, you know, you got it or, or not. Like, you know, if there's something there, if there isn't, you're, you're, you're going to make a calculated choice. Like I'm sure old Kenny did. He, that was a big risk, but it, it turned out. So obviously he knew, <laughs> right. you know, and if you, if you stick to right. it and you just pursue it like viciously with everything you have and enjoy it, like 
I think it'll be good. And there's like bad times. Like <laughs> it's not all like, yeah, I was happy. And, you know, so you're really thinking about those people that they live in your mind. When you pull up to Nipigon, Ontario in Northern Ontario in the middle of the night and you roll in, you don't, you can't even see cause there's no light. So you pull off into this little like trail, hike into the woods to, to take a leak, step on what appears to be an arm sticking out of a plastic bag and then you realize there's a body in the plastic bag and you're like and there's stuff everywhere you're like where the hell am i what is this what's going on you're kind of like there's a police station two kilometers down the road how the hell did i get into this position and then the plastic bag like just like starts moving and it's just a vagrant just some guy who just (laughs) went into the woods and slept and you're random and it's like such a weird experience like that and then you end up just like driving two more kilometers down the road pulling over and sleeping on the floor of your van and it's northern ontario and it's cold you really start to kind of think about (laughs) those voices live in your mind right is my the voice of my old boss telling me like well it's okay you're free to leave but you're choosing a hard life like that's what i was thinking i was like i was like shit shit you know like i chose a hard life but it's that's what just one moment you know so i would say just like just aggressively keep going and then in the end like those that's that's turns out to be a funny story when when it was happening it was like kind of like you think you think you have a dead body like just talk to me like the guy's down for like 30 minutes trying to play dead it's like dude i'm in the woods you're in the woods like i'm taking a leak what are you doing here anyway <laughs> random stuff right. but you, you those people's voice will will will, will bring you down if, if you let it so i let it confuse me for a while i keep trying to get contracts and offices here and there and this and that and then in the end it's just wasting time so if you think you got it i'd say just do it you'll know yeah well i i can't think of a better note to end on (laughs) jody again i I really do motivational speaker (laughs) (laughs) kids welcome to the dream factory boys and girls (laughs) that's right well so how how can people get in touch or or see what you've been up to or what you might be up to in the near future yeah sure i on instagram i am jody farms i don't really post much i used to i can i have the ability i have the negatives they're sitting there i just got to get to them but yeah (laughs) you can you can follow me on instagram i'm jody farms on instagram and then on the youtube i am jody farms as well if you want to see some you want if you want to see me get real dark about farming and life (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can watch my little YouTube series there. Um, and right. I'm on Facebook too. I hang out in, in a lot of the film photography groups. Uh, it's kind of like a silent creeper. Uh, and then I'll like kind of <laughs> pipe up every now and then. Um, so yeah, yeah. so that, that's where you can find me online. Otherwise, my bands, like it's the last band I was in is Mansbridge. And my band that I went in on the uh, a lot of the trips that I talked about in, in, this, uh, in this podcast was Farler's Fury. We're a Celtic, Celtic punk band, like bagpipes and everything so you can check us out there wherever that exists online bandcamp or spotify or something i don't even know <laughs> right but but the mansbridge is on bandcamp and I mansbridge is on mansbridge is on spotify so yeah you could in- okay. include a link in, in the show notes and then if you want the yeah that's where you can just check out that song we talked about single lens reflux and a bunch of other stuff and jess hobbs shot the cover photo for that uh for that album so there you go there, there you go. Yeah. All right. 
Yep. Well, thanks again, Jody. I really appreciate your time and all your insights and experiences on, on music and photography. Oh, hey, no, thank you for letting me just ramble on about just nonsense. It was great. <laughs> I could talk about this all day. Huge thanks again to Jody for coming on to talk about his experiences in the punk scene, making music and touring with his bands, his photography, and all of his creative outlets. Please do check out the links in the show notes to hear some of his music and check out his YouTube channel. Uh, thanks also to Mike Ketterman for our theme song, Timeless. Mike makes music available for content creators on his Bandcamp page at mikegetterman.bandcamp.com. And of course, as always, thank you to the team over at Sunny16 for hosting the feed. As John Whitmore might remind us, always try and be a decent human being.